please consider making a donation to the Historian's Podcast Yearly Fund Drive. You'll find the link to our GoFundMe campaign and an explanation of how to donate by mail on our website, bobcudmore.com. This is Rod Carell speaking. I have written a book recently called Learning to Be a Leather Man. It was a rite of passage. It is a story of growing up as the son of a son in the leather business. My company was Herman Lowenstein Incorporated. It was founded by my grandfather, Herman Lowenstein, in 1893 in New York City. Uh, My father took it over in 1941, and when he died, I took it over in 1966. This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We do welcome Rod Carell to talk about his memoir, Learning to Be a Leather Man. I guess that's um, self-explanatory, the word leather man, but it almost sounds like you're a superhero. (laughs) No, it isn't a superhero. Uh, We were leather merchants, and we were leather tanners, and I just chose leather man as the way to look at myself as I was writing the book. Briefly about your grandfather, could you expand on that? Uh, he started this uh, this company, and the company w- would take hides from animals and turn them into leather, right? Well, uh, it started out, uh, my grandfather Im- immigrated from Germany, Elbang in Germany, uh, and he became a manufacturer's representative for one of his uh, one of his relatives who had a tannery in Ulm, Germany, uh, the Lebrecht Tannery, and his first uh, work was with that uh, company. He then expanded and uh, started exporting leather from uh, Delaware, for example, uh, Allied Kid Company. He grew a very successful business in export and import of leather. He did not want to own tanneries. It was my father, uh, Rudolf Carell, Rudy Carell, who in 1941 bought a tannery in Gloversville, the Kane Tanning Company, also known as the Ellathorpe Tanning Company. What was the name of the tanning company? Uh, It was Kane Tanning Company and also known I think DBA as Ellathorpe Tanning Company. I mean, I get the impression that your father was maybe even more successful than your grandfather in in the leather business. My grandfather had built a reputation on fairly uh, standard black kidskin leathers, and then he expanded from there. Uh, My father uh, decided that color needed to be introduced into Uh, his uh, product line, and he was probably one of the major developers of colored leathers for ladies, high fashion shoes, handbags as well, and uh, he would bring people, uh, retailers from uh, various parts of the country in to look at the line that he had developed and uh, tell him uh, whether they liked this color or that color. And then he brought uh, in his customers uh, one by one and uh, talked to them about what their 
uh, customers, retail customers, liked. It was sort of like a focus group, which uh, I guess was one of the first groups, uh, if you will, were in the, uh, in, the, in the leather business. And he was Rudy Carell, correct? That is correct. Yeah, I mean, his name is Carell, as is yours. You've, the family changed the name from, your original name was Lowenstein, is that right? That is correct. When were you born? I was born in 1935, Bob. When you're 17, I believe it is, and I'll do the math, but I'm not very good at that. Uh, but uh, when you were 17, your father sent you on a trip to Europe, but it was not sort of fun and games, or, or what was that trip about? The trip was to learn how to tan leather, and we had a connection with the W&J Martin uh, Leather Tannery in Glasgow, Scotland, my father thought that uh, two weeks in the leather tannery, really understanding uh, the, the way leather was tanned, the, the pluses, the minuses, the getting my feet wet, uh, my hands wet, pulling hides, etc., cetera, uh, was a plus. And then after that, to take a trip on a bike uh, through Scotland and England. So it was part business, part pleasure. It was both. That was his mantra, uh, business with pleasure. He always practiced that and preached it to me, and I've, I've followed his uh, uh, rule. When he comes to you and, and, uh, and says, would you like to go to Europe, you know, explains this trip, did you want to go? Yes, I did. You know, my mother came from Germany. Uh, my father had traveled many, many times. Uh, I was rather excited. I, my, I spoke uh, German quite fluently at the time and uh, was learning French, and uh, there was something about travel that really excited me, yes. Coming back to the United States, did you then take your place in the, uh, or the leather company that uh, your father operated? Well, uh, Bob, I started, I think, at age 10, doing summer stints in the office on Ferry Street, which was down near the Brooklyn Bridge. It was called the Swamp in those days, the Leather District. I certainly, when I came back from the trip that I took, uh, I was uh, still, I had one more year in prep school and then on to Yale, so I didn't work full-time by any means, but every summer, in some way or another, I was involved working for and with Herman Lowenstein. At some point, this company, uh, Lowenstein, gets an involvement, I guess maybe I'll say, with Gloversville, which I'm more familiar with. It's up in Fulton County, New York, and it's a center for glove making and also tanning of leather and, and so forth, or, or was uh, through the years. When did your family's business make the connection with Gloversville? In 1941, Bob, uh, when my father bought Ellathorpe Tanning Company. At some point, did your father uh, and or did your family move to Gloversville? I moved to Gloversville uh, in 1964 uh, to really learn what tanning was all about, of the tanning of skins, of calf skins in particular, which was our main raw material. I went from a sales position 
uh, at Lonstein to a, uh, it was sort of a trainee position, if you will, but it, it gave me a sense of what that tannery was all about, who the people were all about. It was also a respite for me, Bob, uh, because uh, I, before I went, uh, my dad had a stroke and a heart attack, and the industry, as I said, was starting to fail. Uh, our customers in New York City, uh, the shoe manufacturers and the handbag manufacturers, were finding it very difficult to compete with imports. And so I realized that I needed to have a thorough understanding of what uh, the tannery was doing because ultimately I, uh, that was where we wound up uh, doing our business from. The uh, We had to close our office in New York City because of cost. Uh, we had a wonderful uh, showroom in which uh, my dad entertained uh, these retailers and then customers, and the customers were no longer there. So uh, the rental expense uh, and the warehousing expense was something that we had to cut out of our budget, and that's why we moved up to Gloversville. Your uh, father, I believe, passed away in the mid-1960s. Is that correct? That's correct, 1966. Uh, before that, you know, even though he was ill, were you kind of running the show or were there other uh, managers or ex- people that your father had depended on uh, to keep the tannery or, or keep the business going? No, he had he had an executive team and they were uh, running the, the show. I was there and I was certainly part of the management team and they looked to me uh, as the member to find ways in which to reorganize, if you will, to uh, start looking at how do we deal with the situation we were in. Uh, And it was a stressful time, Bob, uh, because they were hoping my father kept control, but he was not really in a position to exercise that control let me try to ask this delicately i mean this was was this difficult for you do you feel that you were resented by maybe some members of that team or uh, the other employees of the firm it was very difficult for me because i felt that i had to in some way or or another uh, get my father to relinquish control and i was not really emotionally able to do that i would say Yes, uh, especially by one, uh, his uh, executive vice president was definitely wanting to move him out. Well, I must say, you know, as an employee, basically, all my life, I've worked for some companies where there's that tension between the the family side of the business and the, I don't know what you'd call it, the professional side and going back and uh, forth. It's hard to hard to juggle both of those uh, points of view, I'd say. But your point of view, what was it that we've got to get this act together and do what we can for the company? Or were you looking to to, to get out? You know, like they speak in terms of the pandemic or the great resignation. Were you 
thinking of that at, at some points in your career. I had uh, a situation where uh, after my father died, uh, the our bankers came in. We had been losing money for three years, significant amount of money. I realized fully that we had a major expense that in the rental of our space in uh, New York City and uh, the staff we had there, and I had to find a way in which to to survive, really, to eliminate that expense. It took a while to figure out how to do it, but ultimately from 71 to 74, we did a phased withdrawal uh, from New York City. We, I was in a situation, Bob, which uh, was emotionally taxing, having to let 30 people that we had 33 people in our uh, operation in New York City and I had to let 30 of them go or find ways in which to transition them. We offered them jobs in Gloversville. It really didn't make sense. Most of these people were in their 50s, even some in 60s. So it was definitely one of the more taxing points in, in my in my life. And, and that does sound familiar to me. I mean, I'm not from Gloversville. I'm from Amsterdam near nearby where the industry was carpets. And the one difference was that whereas there were a bunch of companies up in Gloversville, Johnstown, involved in glove making and tanning leather and so forth. But in Amsterdam, there were obviously two big employee uh, employee centers. And one of them moved out. And the other one sort of staged, uh, I've used the same word twice, a staged withdrawal, I would say, a Mohawk carpet. Uh, they merged with somebody else, uh, brought some of those people up to Amsterdam, who you know were maybe uh, in their fifties and forties anyway, uh, and they were eventually moving their um, production uh, down to southern states. What was happening to your business at the Lowenstein Company? Who was start- starting to perform this function in society? What happened was uh, we had lost. Our customer base, that was something that I had to face. We had a raw material. Our major raw material was calfskin. Veal was being eaten less and less, and so our raw material was diminishing in supply, and the price was rising, which made calfskin that much less competitive. And uh, so my job, when I got up to Gloversville was to figure out how to find a new raw material, how to find a new customer base, and to reestablish the company as a profitable company. It took quite a while, and it was I was very fortunate in the fact that a buyer came along, uh, George Schrute, Schrute and Ash, who bought our tannery and then bought a half interest in Armin Lowenstein. You sold the tannery, but you still had, what, what did you have left? I had a merchandising company, which was called Herman Lowenstein. I had a partner, a 50-50 partner uh, in George Fruit. He was a mentor and he was, he financed me, he put me on my feet, and three years later, I had found 
the right raw material, which was uh, cowhide. There was a fashion trend in ladies' soft high boots. Uh, we made that, and for a number of years, uh, I, I guess it was about four or five years, that fashion was very much in ascendancy, and we turned the corner. Is the company still in operation? No, it's, it's no longer in operation. Things change in the leather industry. I knew that the fashion for ladies' soft boots was going to fade out. It became, initially, it was a, a very interesting product that we were making, but it started to become a commodity. And at that point, I realized we needed to have more technical expertise. And it was at that time, 79, that I was at a leather show with a uh, tanner that was making our leather on contract. And he suggested, because our business was doing so well, to why didn't I buy his Tannery, which was a division of a conglomerate, I said to him, come on, uh, Dave, why don't you have Wallace Carroll buy uh, Herman Lonesby? And that's what happened. The man who had the tannery bought your company. The man that bought the tannery, actually, when we were successful, he said to me, Rod, it's time for you to fly on your own wings. Uh, buy me out. I did buy him out. It was an extraordinary story. He bought me out at the price that uh, he paid for his partnership, and at that point, the company was worth a lot more money. Yeah, I'm confused here. He bought you out, or you bought him out? I bought him out in 75, when our business started to flourish. So your business flourished for a while, but at some point it ended. I, how, how did it, that end? That is correct. In, in about 78, I realized the handwriting was on the wall. I needed to find another product, if you will, and we uh, we were experimenting with a whole bunch of different products, and we had, at that point, also a need for additional production. I bought into a division of Swift & Company, the A.C. Lawrence Leather Company, the Caskin Division. I became a, a, a partner there. Uh, they were making leather for us. We needed even more leather than the tannery in Gloversville was making for us and A.C. Lawrence. And this smaller tannery, Swoboda in Philadelphia, was a division of uh, KD Industries, which was a conglomerate that had a whole bunch of other companies uh, related in, in many ways to leather and shoes and so on and so forth. Wallace Carroll bought us. So when would you say that your involvement with the company ended? My involvement with the company ended in 83 when I left to go back to Yale. Rod Correll is with us. He's author of Learning to Be a Leather Man. Going back to Yale, what was that all about? I was invited to a seminar on leadership and motivation by the School of Management at Yale. It was a weekend seminar, and uh, it uh, was an extraordinary event, uh, in a way an epiphany for me. One of the issues for me as the heir in a family business was the possibility, the likelihood in, in a sense, I thought, of people talking behind my back. In the course of this uh, seminar, there were... Groups built, uh, groups of eight people built, who were then tasked with uh, solving problems that they 
were given. The paradigm was called a community building, and it started by having two people get together and introduce each other, but go even beyond that in terms of understanding things that they liked, things that were, you know, exciting to them, uh, included uh, books, included music, included animals, etc. It was, and then the uh, person that was your partner introduced you to another group of two, and then that was repeated, uh, and a group of four. What I learned, uh, Bob, was how to build a, tr- a group that trusted one another, and it was an extraordinary uh, experience for me. What did you do after Yale? After Yale, I started working with one of my uh, professors. I stayed on for an extra year at, uh, in New Haven doing research on succession in family business. I then got involved with him in founding a an organization called the Family Firm Institute, which the membership of which is lawyers, bankers, accountants. Uh, it also included uh, psychiatrists, organizational <clears throat> development people. And uh, it, the purpose of this was to try to find a way in which these consultants would give a more measured approach to consulting to if you will, uh, families on succession in their family businesses. One thing I wanted to get in, we're, we're talking with Rod Correll, author of the memoir, Learning to Be a Leather Man, A Rite of Passage. Uh, and I hope I'm right. Uh, you were, I think, telling me that you did a book signing over to Mysteries on Main Street, which I believe is in Johnstown, the bookstore in Fulton County, and that you had quite a reaction to this. Uh, did you? And what was... The reaction? The reaction was quite positive. We had a number of people from different segments, uh, many friends, but others. It was uh, sort of a a get-together, if you will. Uh, For me, it was a celebration of going into yet another chapter in my uh, life, uh, uh, being potentially an author. Did the people, some of the people who were there, had they worked for you? I mean, had they worked in the uh, the tanning and in the glove industries? I don't think so, Bob. Uh, I think most of them were friends of mine from uh, Johnstown, Gloversville. Oh, yes, there was uh, one person who did not work for me, but who is a owner of uh, Townsend Leather Company, uh, Terry Cusel. Your, your subtitle of your book, or the secondary title, is A Rite of Passage. Uh, what do you mean by that? Okay, well, the rite of passage that people do is uh, going from youth to becoming your own man. Uh, Becoming my own man was a much longer process for me, but uh, the things that Dad set up in terms of uh, that trip to Scotland and uh, the many training things uh, that I did during the summers and and uh, after I came into the business after Yale, those were definitely steps towards uh, becoming a proficient as a leader. Uh, that uh, seminar in 79, I guess, uh, 80, I guess it was, got me thinking about 
what does it mean to be a leader? How do I bring people together to solve problems, etc.? It was at that point, I think, that I started feeling like now I am becoming my own man. My grandfather was certainly a highly respected person in the business, in the industry. My father was probably one of the most imaginative people in his generation in the leather industry. I had a couple of shadows that I had to walk out of, and it was that rite of passage, if you will. Once you walked out of those shadows of your father and grandfather, who were you? That's a wonderful question. I think I was a person who had realized the pluses and minuses of being in the leather industry. I loved the industry. I had some wonderful, wonderful times. But it had not been, you know, my choice. Uh, It had been uh, my dad's choice. And uh, when I went back to Yale and met this professor who had a somewhat similar experience and wanted to find a way in which to get fathers and the sons to work together towards building a better, uh, more resilient company, better leadership, etc., that accountants will give you the numbers, lawyers will give you the tactics, Bankers will give you the money. You need that back back and forth, that flow of communication and trust to to really start building a business that not only is successful financially, but uh, is a rewarding place to work. So. Who is that professor? The professor was a guy by the name of Ivan Landsberg. He was the son of a very successful insurance and in, and reinsurance firm in uh, Caracas, Venezuela. Ivan uh, decided he w- wasn't going to go into that business, so he went to Columbia, he got his PhD, and then he was associate professor at, at Yale, and we sort of, we hit it off big time, and uh, he had a group of people that uh, were interested in forming this family firm institute. When I came back from Yale, I didn't really have a job. I worked as uh, in economic development for a brief time uh, with a grant from Anka, I think it was, trying to create a small business development organization. It, it really didn't work. And uh, at that time, Family Firm Institute was just a fledgling organization searching for members. And all of a sudden, uh, not all of a sudden, uh, I said, you know, I'm doing nothing. I And I am pretty good at creating networks, so why don't I take on the job? And they gave me the job as executive director, and uh, we built an organization to about 600 people, and today it's 2,700 people in 80 nations. So. One more point. What, were, what are you doing now? What I'm doing now is... I am enjoying retirement at, uh, at Avila, which is a retirement community in Albany. I have spent my time in the last three years uh, trying to collect my thoughts in a very positive way and put, putting together this, this book, which uh, is uh, a legacy document that I wanted to pass on to my 
my kids who I am and why I am. And it's remarkable. Uh, I've already seen some fruits from that label. Well, Rod Carell, I thank you very much uh, for joining us. Rod Carell is author of the memoir, Learning to Be a Leatherman, A Rite of Passage. It's published by the Troy uh, Bookmakers. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast. And I'm Bob Cudmore. Help us reach our goal with our GoFundMe campaign. Write out a check to me, Bob Cudmore. Send to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. You can also give electronically by going to our website, bobcudmore.com, and clicking on the GoFundMe button. 